Hey everyone, welcome to episode 175 of 15 with Andy, Randy, and Ellie. And we have a special guest today. Ellie, say hello. Hello. Ellie McGray, my 13-year-old daughter, had something to say when I was discussing today's podcast with my wife in the car. Very good. She had an idea of something that she thought this text that we often misuse as we were in the middle of this series and she had a few cents to add. And since we're headed to robotics just down the road later. It's a perfect a perfect thing. <laughs> it's a perfect opportunity to get your feet wet on the podcast. So welcome, first timer. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last week was an episode that still has me thinking about Jesus' final days here on this earth, the Last Supper. His service to not only his disciples, but to all of us as a model of love and unity. We were left to consider what could be. Andy said, imagine what might be if we could come together in the unity that Jesus is the Savior, He calls us to love, and there is a glorious future, and then simply live our lives by loving each other and loving people everywhere into a lifelong friendship with God, so the table of the Lord enlarges. That's been stuck in my mind all week. (laughs) Good. Until this week. (laughs) And there's lots to go for this week. But I'll never look at that story of Jesus in communion quite the same again. I never had the pieces and the parts put together the same way it was presented last week. So if you didn't catch that message or the podcast, please don't miss it. Because at least for me, it was a game changer on how I think of communion Mm. and even how Jesus interacted with us and what that meant. I mean, we've heard that story a hundred times, thousands maybe, but it was differently put this time and it was really worth not missing. All right, this week, that was that was communion. This week, we're back into texts we love to misuse. <laughs> now, I thought I was going to be mad at Andy last week, or no, two weeks ago, sorry, because that's one of my favorite verses. Which verse was that? Jeremiah 29, 11. Jer- yeah, Jeremiah 29, 11. I was like, hmm. So I really thought I wasn't going to be happy, but I was. Now, Matthew 18, 20, where we land this week, Andy went ahead and meddled with, again, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And I guess that's kind of the point of this series. You the whole point of the series. You got to meddle in the ones that we really like to hold on to and maybe misuse. I was, then it challenges, your, it challenges your thinking. It does? Yeah. Yes. It very much challenged my thinking. That was good. I was apprehensive, and I'm still not sure where I personally land on this. So I'm just going to go there. So I'm counting on Andy, and I was—I thought Jeff was going to be here last minute. He couldn't make it. So maybe I'm counting on Ellie here as well Uh-oh. to help me sort this out. And maybe for you too. All right. I've read Matthew 18 multiple times and in multiple versions to try and see this verse contextually. Because I know that's what we're trying to take is the right. whole picture. Make sure we're really applying things as we should. And for full transparency, I've always interpreted this verse as a promise to claim. And I've done so more times than I can count. So in the me too. In, <laughs> all right, all right, we're good so far. In the New Living Translation, that's my usual and favorite translation. Verse nineteen seems to give a shift in thought or an addendum in my mind. Mm. What is an addendum? It's an an add on. An add on. An add on. So I also tell you this: if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. So if I can get somebody to agree with me that I need a new Porsche, I mean, <laughs> oh, uh, no, so, just asking, okay? No, uh, yeah, no. Context is important. <laughs> context is important. That's true. Now, I'm not saying I don't think it applies to the earlier verses and the theme of reconciliation like we've talked about between the parties, the sin against the sinner, but this seems to carry an inclusionary tone that it's 
that maybe this would apply to us gathering together and asking God as a group for things we agree we are in need of or of God's intercession in need of that on ours or others' behalf. Is is that not true? You might be able to pull it there. (laughs) (laughs) So basically you're meaning like say like there's a – you're together with a group of your friends that are Christian and you all know that you need patience to sustain each other. So maybe that's another thing the verse is talking about. Like if you, if you're with a group and you all need a certain fruit of the spirit, maybe that's what it means. Maybe you need some more joy or some more goodness to help each other get along and promote the gospel of Christ. Very good. I like the idea of promoting the gospel of Christ. I think that's really one of the keys in the understanding of the verse is that it's. I know I have. I won't say y'all have. Um, <laughs> <laughs> have tended to sometimes interpret that text very selfishly. Oh, sure. So yeah, absolutely. Whatever I ask for, if I can get somebody to agree with me on it, then, yay, God's got to come through. The Porsche <laughs> Yeah, the example. Porsche. Yeah, I'll take, I'll take the Porsche. <laughs> uh, or it, it, within the context of the framework, could it be, uh, might it be about praying for reconciliation, praying for coming together, praying yeah. for those kinds of things? So anything... In that context, doesn't mean anything in the wild blue no. yonder. Is it's anything within that framework? Maybe yeah, it bit. means anything that's going to work for the good of God. Yeah, there that you go. will help other people know more about Him. Yeah, that would work. I like that. Well, that, I guess that's what I was thinking yeah. was you know because I resonated with the journey through the early part of the chapter and Jesus' use of the child as an illustration of the heart change that we need and how serious Jesus takes sin. Now that. You know, uh, millstones wrapped around your neck, uh, drowning at the bottom of the sea, cutting off feet, hands, gouging out eyes, throwing them all away and being better off without them than to live with and suffer the fires of hell because of sin. That's, uh, you know. And and not to metaphorize, is that a word? Metaphorical? Yeah, not to use it metaphorically, because I think Jesus is talking very literally here as well, but there is a kind of a fire of hell that comes from sin sure. that precedes the literal fire of hell. Like yeah. Um, guilt. Yeah, guilt and misery and all kinds of deceit and angers and bad things that happen uh, to us. But I, I, the one of the things that really I didn't have time to develop in the sermon, I wish I had, um, is the whole root of sin. I, I, I touched on it just yeah. briefly. Yeah. But the reality that, it's not. We think about it being moral, doing moral things and immoral things. Yep. And it, it's really about wanting to be our own God versus letting God be God. Mm. And we tend to go off on behavior and choices and all those things, as opposed to saying, "Okay, the real thing with sin is I want to be in charge of me," yeah. instead of surrendering being in charge of me to God. I really think this is in stark contrast as you started to lay that out <laughs> as to what we like to focus on and what we get. I don't want to say accused, but what people will say, you know, oh, well, you know, the hospital church, they're all about love and they're all about grace and there's no meat. We are. And, and yeah, guilty as charged. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm glad you've been paying attention. But, you know, we, li- we do like to focus on grace and salvation mm-hmm. selfishly sometimes. So these are strong words by Jesus. This is not just, right. you know, he's not just throwing this out here to scare you, but I have myself, and I've often heard this rationalized as a threat directed at those who would lead just simply children or maybe the innocent astray 
But this, the, really the, what he's talking about here, this takes on a different light in the realization that this is just a, simply a teaching tool about <laughs> all sins, right. all sinners. And this goes for us too. This isn't just watch out for the little guys over here, yeah. the kids. This yeah. is for all of you. This is how we treat each other. Mm-hmm. Because we're all children of God. There you go. There you go. And then these consequences of you know, like you'd be better off without your eye if it's causing you to sin. And that starts to put a whole different – I think a whole different spin on what we're talking about and how we need to, you know, we really do need to resolve these issues. Right. Maybe that means in today's world, like what you watch, if you watch something on the Sabbath, is it honoring God? If you listen to certain music. Sort of like the little song about be careful little hands what you yeah, yeah. <laughs> careful, what you hear. Be careful little eyes what you, you see. see. Yes. Be careful little hands what you hear. Be careful little Feet where you walk. Uh, yeah, where you go. Something like that. <laughs> wow. Well, there you go. We even had, this is our first episode with actual singing. <laughs> That's right. There you go. Thanks, Ellie. Maybe our last. Let's give it a guess. Oh, man. You're One welcome. Of, of course. One of my favorite parts of this message was how you framed the often feared God is going to get you. Mm. Now, again, I know this wasn't the focus of it, but it was one of the things that stood out to me as a learning tool, because honestly, there was so much to unpack in this message. There was a lot in that chapter. And it was just so much of, you could go here, you could go here. And I I thought you did a great job of just stepping these down one by one. But this one stuck with me because I guess this is where my heart for ministry lies. Mm -hmm. And people that have either been burned by someone or the church, you know, we'll put that all into one, or they feel like they've been burned by God because God is this person who's just like, oh, look at my thumb. It's much bigger than you. And oh, I squashed you. Right. One of Jesus' purposes for coming was to reveal the Father to the world, to us. I like the reality that our Father in heaven, the God of the universe, the Holy Trinity God of all eternity, is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. That's who God is. The God who isn't vengeful, isn't looking to catch us outside the lines, isn't vindictive. Our God, the God Jesus reveals, is the God who is not willing that any of his lost sheep should be lost. And then you went on to say, paranoid that God is going to get you? (laughs) Worried that God is just waiting for you to step out of line so he has an excuse to whack you? That's not who Jesus is. He is the God who is not willing that any should be lost. If there's something that anyone needed to hear in the course of this, and I know this is about reconciliation and making sure that we're taking care of each other when we've done each other wrong and maybe how to do that, a better Mm -hmm. roadmap. But boy, to me, that says this is so worth your effort. This is so worth your time and the uncomfortableness and all the things that go with it because this is who we're doing it for. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. That's why both sides of what comes before our text and what comes after our text are so critical to understanding the, the passage of 18 verses 15 to 20, because here's this thing about if, you know, if your brother offends you and how to take care of all that, we only care to do that because it's been done for us. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's a God who is wanting to go out on the dark nights and hunt us, hunt us down on the law, us lost sheep. And then he's willing to forgive us a debt we can never repay yeah. Um, and so those it's sandwiched between those things we talk about. Okay, how how should we behave with our brothers and sisters? And so it's really critical that we ha- that that's that comes from all precedes the other. Yeah, that's great. So I think God, like you were saying earlier, how some of us think of God like waiting to squash us under His thumb. But I read this. I think it it was in Guide. And it's a really good comparison. It was, say you have two aunts. 
one has this really nice house and she lets you in but you walk through a puddle and she's like wait 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 you gotta wash your feet you gotta wash your feet mm-hmm. and then she makes cookies for you right okay but she's watching your every move waiting for you to spill a crumb and you get this tiny is piece <laughs> of chocolate on her couch and she makes you scrubs and scrub and scrub it out i think that's kind of the that's kind of why some people think of god but say you have this other aunt who you go to her house and you have water on your feet she's like and you track it over her clean floor she's like oh well i we can clean that up later and then she makes cookies you eat some and you get some crumbs but she's not punishing you she's not looking at, at your every single step and waiting for you to do something wrong she's a caring aunt i like the caring mm, aunt yeah me too she's a lot more fun to I'm be going to her house <laughs> that's right because <laughs> i think the cookies are probably aren't any better at the yeah, other aunt's no. house that would make all that <laughs> worth for it that's very good ellie thank you you're welcome Following that, I thought your communication statistic was maybe already known and understood, but way underutilized and a great reminder because I think with modern technology, it's like, oh, I can do this really quick. I can do that really quick. And you said, we know that 93% of communication is nonverbal, stuff like tone of voice, body language. Only 7% is the words we choose. So coming right. from, you know, this is where I was hoping Jeff was going to be here today because I know he does a lot <laughs> of psychology guy. <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. And a lot, a lot of counseling. And I thought, what is the best advice that we can give people that we can resolve these issues given the world we live in? Well, sometimes oh, go ahead, huh? Ellie. Question. Isn't tone of voice verbal too? It is. Then why'd you say it was nonverbal? Well, it's, it's verbal, but yeah, you're right. You're it's verbal and the tone of voice but it's words that you can hear as opposed to words that are written. I, 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 I was contrasting yeah. the writing. Okay. Yeah, go yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping good. us honest here today. Really, that's really good. <laughs> well, I, I think it's really important because I know in counseling myself, with sometimes in marriage counseling, because body language and tone of voice can cloud as well as it can clarify. Right, yeah. That, that sometimes I'll have couples write to each other notes hmm. so that they can – sort of edit it down and make sure the words are there. But, but when we practice some therapies, you'll have a, a person tell their spouse or tell their friend or the counseling situation what the problem or the issue is. And then the person whom they tell it to tells the one who told them what that issue is and yeah. tries to say what that person just said in different words. And and then the person gets a chance to say, right, or you didn't get it at all, you know, yeah. kind of thing. And so you have to keep mining for the truth. But sometimes... Body language and tone of voice, I think, are best in resolutions. If you have everybody at the table where we can see each other and hear each other and and be there. But sometimes in counseling situations where it's so volatile that that, that body language and tone of voice have, have, in one split second, can mess up a whole conversation, it may be best to write. But um, that's sort of within a deep relationship, not... These not, friendships not, that you, you you just can't beat sitting down eyeball to eyeball and solving the problem. Well, I think you end up too with if something you say and you're expecting to like if if you and I are in a quarrel and I go, I have no idea why Andy is this upset at me. And if I say, Andy, 
X, Y, and Z. I just can't believe this. Right. And you know, if I've offended you, I'm sorry. And you're like, wait a minute, you don't get off that easy, Mister. Yeah. And you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm yeah. like, whoa. Obviously, what I just said <laughs> did not come across, or I don't understand <laughs> the depth of and severity of what I've done mm-hmm. or what the situation sure. is that you can never get in an email, even in a phone call. No, you, in the in the emails that I get often. Uh, <laughs> Andy gets all you, emails. All often. you can clear, all you can clarify is the person is not pleased. <laughs> I've I've been in that situation when I'm like, ooh, I've hurt this person's feelings. I need to apologize, and I work up the courage to apologize, and then that person's like, yeah, you were, and this like, Arr. Yeah. We don't. <laughs> we don't like it when we realize that they were right and we weren't very nice, or yeah. we did. And then like, when you try to apologize, you're working yourself up to have the courage, and then they kind of just like, nope. <laughs> yeah. So how do you feel though afterwards? After you've done that, after you've made the reconciliation, you've taken that big step, you've gone outside of your comfort zone, and you've initiated this to say, "I sorry, I did the wrong thing, I said the wrong thing." How does that make you feel though? inside, even if they haven't said, well, I accept your apology. What if they don't? How do you feel about Um, that? I think I would feel better Mm -hmm. because then I know the burden is off of me and then it's up to them to decide. And I've heard a lot of people say this, forgiveness doesn't heal them and heals you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is so true because oftentimes we can have a person who did something to us and they died, you know, it's not going to affect them, you know, that how to make this thing right. But if we can, if we can assure that we've forgiven them, then we're, we're okay. Even though it's the impossibility of yeah. rectifying the relationship. Yeah. If you don't take care of this, then we come to our FHC takeaway for the week. <laughs> oh my. Which is while Jesus is explicitly clear that we are to have no part in leading into sin. How do you feel about not looking down on the sinner? Because at first I read this and it seemed a little bit squishy, squishy, maybe a little (laughs) bit easy, squishy. I like that. Squishy. But then it really punched me in the gut when you really stop to think about what this is asking, because we all want to believe that in our hearts, we're good people, Mm -hmm. right? And we, or we want to be good people. We're trying to be better. And when we're really challenged with a big issue or predicament in our lives, that we will do what's right. That's what we want to believe. But if you take a few minutes and go over that sentence a few times and then take a closer look at how you really feel about it, I hope you like what you see in the mirror more than I did. (laughs) I'll be honest there because we've all been the aggressors and the victims of the looking down and yet here we are. We don't extend grace enough personally, you know, we don't do it enough and yet we still receive it and go, man, how come that person won't give me grace? They don't, you know. And looking down on others is really simply normally a way to look up on us. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean that's the whole point. If I think I can look down on someone that that I'm I'm in a superior position so I can feel better about myself, which is really not right either. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, this whole message left me thinking a lot about a lot of different things. I mean, again, the steps we took to get to where we ended, <laughs> there was a lot going on there and there's a lot you could dive a lot deeper into if you had what, four or five hours? Yeah, probably. Uh, several, a sermon series on Matthew 18. <laughs> I think we could have done a sermon series and it's funny you said that because I was just thinking the same thing. So I would encourage you not to miss this message and really stop and think about what parts that Andy unpacked And they all made a logical step to where we landed. Our final thoughts are from Andy's message and puts an exclamation point once more on what we just considered in the takeaway. The whole point is redemption, reconciliation, unity, and coming together. 
The reality, Jesus said, is that how we handle one another when sin has had its way with us has long-term consequences. What we bind on earth is bound in heaven. (laughs) Mm. That sentence, man, that makes that a hard hitter Mm -hmm. and gives you something to think about. And I'm sure that I'm already thinking about it now, and I've still been thinking about last week. And so, you know, we've really been tackling some things that you just often take for granted. And here you're going, nope, I've got to stop and take a little bit Closer look here, because I don't think I, I don't think I agree with Andy. <laughs> it's okay to disagree with me. <laughs> there, part of the reason we're doing this series is to move us from complacency about a text to thoughtfulness about it. Yeah, um, we don't have to all agree with my interpretation of that text, but if we'll begin to be thoughtful about the text versus rote or apathetic in our uh, laziness about the text, and yeah, absolutely, yeah. you have your hand raised for those that can't see. What's up, Ellie? <laughs> So I think that God directed the people who wrote the Bible in a certain way so that every person would have a slightly different take on a certain verse. So then we would grow stronger together because we would learn what each other thought. And then we could grow stronger together. That's good. I like that. Yeah, I think one one of the challenging things of Scripture that this series is reminding us of is that oftentimes uh, many, many spiritual talks or sermons are oftentimes out of context. Yeah. And forcing us to put it into context is a great discipline for us to say, what did this text mean to the people that first heard it? Because that's what, that was the original meaning. That doesn't mean we can't make other applications about it. Sure. But we, sh- we shouldn't make them out of the context of the original meaning. It's just it's important to have a connection there. Well, I think it's a good exercise in just remembering that we say read your Bible, <laughs> but that doesn't mean it's like read a... Read your Bible, pray every day. <laughs> okay, pray so every day. sing again. <laughs> this is a double. So I, I think it's, instead of just reading it like a book, this forces us to go into it with a prayerful mind and to actually bring some context, study more so than read and then prayerfully ask God, how does this, this is what I'm thinking and how do, how can I see this in my life or how can I apply this? I think that's an important part. I love one of the statements that uh, Zed, one of our members here makes, and that is people say the Bible says, and they quote, (laughs) and they quote a verse. Yeah. And, a verse from the Bible is different than what the Bible says because there you can find verses that say all kinds of things that could take you in some strange direction. So it's really important to think about the Bible as what's the theme of the Bible? What's the overarching teaching of Scripture? Jesus. And yeah, there you go. And then interpret those individual texts that may be difficult or hard or obtuse by the overall arching, what is the Bible really saying? <laughs> and I think if we're really into it, I mean, God's not going to leave us hanging out there. He'll, if, oh, yeah. if, you know, if we're sitting together right now and we're saying, God, we would really want people listening today to think harder about this. Mm-hmm. And we're praying over this. And we prayed before we started that people would hear what the Holy Spirit has for them to garner from here. That might be an application of the verse that's worthwhile. Just like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo, when Daniel asked God to tell him what King Nebuchadnezzar's dream meant. Mm-hmm. Sure. Exactly. Now, how come Daniel? Why? Where'd that come from? <laughs> Danny in the Shacks, maybe? I don't know. I was just thinking about um, my Bible story. It's a book, a book series, and all of a sudden it just popped through my mind. Good one. Good one. All right. So what text are we misusing this week? It's forgetting what is behind. Philippians. Yeah, it's a great, great 
verse. I, it's one of my favorite sections of scripture. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing what Jeff does as he unpacks it. Oh, is this Jeff? Jeff's preaching. Oh, well, now yeah. next week, he, he said next week he, for sure he'd, he'd be, be here. <laughs> he should be here for sure next week. That's it. He'll be here for sure. All right. That's going to do it for this week. Jeff, it was almost good to have you back this week. But almost. I'll, almost. But we'll see you next week. And Ellie, thank you for joining yes, us thank today. You, Ellie. You're welcome. So as always, do join us again next Wednesday for the next verse that we like to misuse in episode 176. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Ta-da! Ta-da! Ta-da!